Okay, so hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Default Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all around the world to share their experiences and knowledge. Our guest today is Tammy B. Yelland, founder and CEO at Workplace Less. Tammy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Tammy, you have a remarkable story starting your remote journey in 2011, right? And then founding Workplace Less in 2017. So with that, could you could you please introduce yourself and to our listeners and share you, how your experience uh, have shaped your you know perspective on remote work? Absolutely. Yeah. So I started my remote work journey in 2011. I had previously been in academia and moved okay. back to the U.S. from Spain and was looking for a remote job because I didn't want my job to dictate where I lived. So I wanted to choose where I lived and then, you know, get a job doing what I loved. And so okay. I found something in, in ed tech and it was a great role. I loved it. I loved working in ed tech and I loved working remotely. And then I was hooked. So uh, I determined that I was not going to report into an office and work a nine to five job. And so I worked remotely in, in different positions and for different mm -hmm. companies, primarily in ed tech, and then expanded into corporate training. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, I founded Workplaceless because as a remote worker and a manager, I found it very challenging to find professional development opportunities that were relevant to the remote work context. So when I was looking for leadership training, for instance, it was very much based on office-based principles. So, you know, making sure you have face-to-face -face time, making mm -hmm. sure you you make yourself seen at the office. And that wasn't relevant to me and it wasn't relevant to my goals when it came to advancing in my career and maintaining flexibility as a key part of my life. Mm -hmm. So I founded Workplaceless to help others develop the skills to succeed in remote work and also to help companies be successful in enabling those uh, enabling success in their remote employees and managers. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. And basically, let's let's chat about the future. With your experience, you are the right person to talk about this. So, uh, as a co-founder of uh, myself, as a co-founder of a global talent acquisition company, I've been, you know, chatting with many founders, executives, and I'm currently I'm noticing a curious trend, a kind of split in the remote work scene, right? So some companies are shifting back to office life, right? While others only just beginning to hire from beyond the US, for example, right? So and what's interesting is how the motivation for going remote, you know, kind of changed a bit, right? So previously, the main driver uh, seemed to be uh, uh, talent shortage, right? But now it looks like this cost reduction has become the primary motivation for adopting a global hiring and even remote work strategy, remote work policy, right? So with that in mind, uh, you know a lot about remote work, right? So you're, you're uh, the experts in this space. And I'm just curious, what, what do you think uh, will happen next with remote work and global hiring? Maybe you can tell us like uh, in five years perspective, how do you see this? How do you see this industry? 
So I see in five years, flexibility being um, a little bit simpler and mm -hmm. more complicated. So simpler okay. in that it's going to be the default, right? So mm -hmm. I think we're going to see employees expect to see some sort of flexibility okay. um, offered by employers. So that in, on one side, it's going to be simpler because everyone's going to expect some level of flexibility. Mm -hmm. I also see that it's going to be more complicated. So mm -hmm. as you know, industry goes much faster than uh, like the law. Right. So okay. what I'm going, what I'm seeing is that um, there's going to be some laws. regulation, right? Yeah. Those regulations are going okay. to change and adapt, but they're not going to change as quickly as the, um, you know, the hiring landscape. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, there's a possibility, you know, and I'm, I can't see the future for sure, but my prediction is that it's going to become um, more complicated. Um, okay. I don't think that that is going to keep employers and it won't keep employees for sure from, from desiring flexibility. What mm -hmm. I think um, that creates is this opportunity for partners um, to come into that landscape and serve to mitigate some of that complexity for employers mm -hmm. and employees to access flexibility. So I think mm -hmm. it's going to be simpler and also more complicated. Okay. Okay. And talking about that flexibility, right? So I know you, you talked a lot about it in, in one of your interviews, I guess, or some some article it was you 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 mentioned that companies they're losing their best workers if they're not flexible enough right so yeah can can we go a bit deeper can you tell us more about what you mean by flexibility and do do you think workers can still ask for this even with the economy being tough right now so great question. I divide flexibility into four key categories. There's location flexibility. So that ability to work where you want, okay. um, whether it's from home or in a co-working facility or in the office, then you have schedule flexibility. So do you have to work nine to five Monday through Friday mm -hmm. in, on the East coast of the USA? Or can you have a nonlinear work day? Can you have a condensed work week? Or do you have a completely, you know, um, work whenever policy where it doesn't matter how many hours you work or when you work, as long as you get your work done. Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, job flexibility and PTO flexibility. Um, but the primary types of flexibility that we talk about when we talk about a global mm -hmm. workforce is location and schedule flexibility. Right. Uh, and I absolutely do think that employees can ask for flexibility in this job market, because even though the news might tell you one thing that there's, you know, all these layoffs happening in tech, the reality is that there is a shortage of talent. And mm -hmm. it is, you know, it's across industries. Um, and right now we have one sector um, that is seeing you know, uh, a change or a shift in demand and supply. Um, but overall, we still are seeing a gap when it comes to companies just needing talent. They need talent. Um, and especially um, when you think about companies that are not huge companies, they don't, they're not able to offer like a huge amount of benefits. Mm -hmm. um, flexibility is going to be one of those things that employers that are smaller are still able to offer. Um, so I absolutely do think that employees can and should continue to 
demand flexibility um, because that is what will keep employers, um, you know, hungry to mm -hmm. make those shifts to adapt to new new ways of working. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, and if we still have this talent shortage, right, how can organizations effectively attract and retain top talent when we're talking about remote employees specifically, right, or global employees? Do you have any tips or recommendations? Yes. So um, this is really interesting because I just attended a local conference and part of the one of the questions that was asked was, how can this small city attract the remote mm -hmm. tech worker? Okay. Right? And how can smaller companies that can't offer those, you know, really large benefits packages, how can you attract remote workers? And for companies that are, you know, they're struggling to attract top talent, they definitely need to um, highlight the flexibility that they do offer, mm -hmm. as well as what they're doing to make sure that employees are successful in that remote environment. So mm -hmm. providing training and providing career development opportunities that are designed specifically for the flexible work environment. Um, so 76% of employees are more likely to stay with an employer if they can offer continuing training opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that is one area that I don't think nearly enough employers think about when it comes to attracting and retaining talent is you know, what opportunities are you providing those employees to learn and grow in that company? And then what rewards do they have for learning and growing? Like, can they actually envision themselves in different positions in that company? Um, and that's where so many startups and younger companies really fall short is this uh, lack of planning and lack of mm -hmm. uh, vision setting when it comes to the future and how employees can put themselves in that future vision for, for the organization. Um, and so any company that's struggling to, you know, attract and retain talent, I would strongly encourage them to think about incorporating flexible first and flexible, um, uh, you know, training programs and mm -hmm. career development paths and opportunities that are specific to flexible work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Um, another topic that you, you that you talk a lot, in fact, it's um, uh, is rituals, right? So uh, rituals for remote teams specifically, right? Uh, and it's it's something that I totally get because uh, I have teams in ten different countries, and for instance, we have you know bunch of different you know rituals in our company. For for example, the one that I really really love and suggest, you know. To, to everyone to everyone basically mm -hmm. we have um a day every two months uh, where we update our guides our internal documents you know it stops them getting out of date which mm -hmm. can really you know slow you down when you're working remotely right so w with that in mind could could you give give some maybe examples from 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 your side of useful rituals that people in companies uh, that are working remotely, right, might implement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there. Are, uh, you make such a great point about those rituals, and I think, especially in a distributed team, it's very important to make sure that you have 
intentionally thought of those rituals to mm -hmm. achieve the goals you want. So one of the biggest challenges in remote work is feeling connected to right. one another, feeling connected to the vision and the mission of the organization. So with that in mind, implement rituals that can enable those connections. So mm -hmm. um, one example of a ritual um, that we had in our team, we created a, um, a Slack bot that uh, suggested games. And so we would play asynchronous games with one another. Okay. Um, and so that intent was to have fun, number one. So mm -hmm. we wanted to be able to have fun, but not require everyone to do it. Um, and we wanted to have an opportunity for people to connect with one another, you know, uh, in a context that was not related to work at all. Um, and then another example is a um, skill sharing session. So having, you know, once a month or once a quarter have teams break up into groups and have experts, designated experts within those teams share some of the skills that they've been working on or share something that they've accomplished. Um, and that really makes contributions visible. And it also allows team members to see one another in a different light. Um, and you're also elevating that uh, that learning mindset uh, within mm -hmm. the team. So um, having uh, another ritual is just something that I think we all do uh, sort of naturally, we, we sort of want naturally, and that's sending updates. Um, yeah. In uh, At Workplaceless, we really prioritize async first communication. So the ritual is sending daily updates asynchronously where you identify, mm -hmm. you know, top three priorities and, and blockers. And then, you know, if you want to add something good or something that you're looking forward to for the day, that allows people to see, you know, what else is going on in your day. Um, mm -hmm. So incorporating your values and your goals into the rituals, um, I think, is a way to make sure that your team can connect okay. the time that it takes to participate in that ritual with the value of it. Mm -hmm. um, because I think where some teams get a little off track is trying to add just, you know, virtual happy hours and all these things just with the very um, ambiguous goal of, oh, we need to offer time to connect, but it's not it's not completely obvious to the people participating how that particular ritual ties to, you know, what the company values. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, just being thoughtful and intentional about incorporating those rituals will make employees more likely to participate and enjoy them. Okay. Okay. And, and you touched this uh, regarding asynchronous communication, right? Sometimes it might be super tough, you know, because of, all those different channels that we have that we use like right so and and you talked about this concept of um uh, communication charter right yes can can you explain how uh, how uh, this communication charter works and how it can help teams establish clear uh, guidelines right for using different communication channels for for different purposes i, I suppose Sure. Yeah. A communication charter is a team agreement that documents and uh, makes universal the expectations for communicating mm -hmm. using the tools that you have. So it um, defines the priority levels. So mm -hmm. 
you know, you can define them however you want in your team, but usually you would see some sort of urgent category, high, normal, low. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just one, one of those things that you sort of assume that people know, or it just is the same across the board. But until you actually articulate those expectations, it's just an assumption. Um, and so you yeah. really do have to define what constitutes an urgent message. And then after you define what that means, you have to define what the expectation is for the speed of response. So if mm -hmm. something is urgent, you know, that is the time when you would expect an immediate response or within the next 10 minutes, right? So you would have to define that within your team. Um, but as we've adopted so many channels and so, um, and, and especially in remote work, we tend to um, be over responsive or we want to be seen as hyper responsive because there are so few opportunities for us to make our contributions visible. Mm -hmm. um, so we tend to just like respond as quickly as possible. And then we just feel like there's so much communication happening and you just feel like you always have to be on. Um, mm -hmm. Creating a communication charter really puts that in check because okay. you're separating what really needs to be responded to immediately from other information that doesn't require an immediate, an immediate response. Mm -hmm. um, so you have the priority levels, then you have the types of messages. So you know, communication from a client, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, if a client can't access their account, for instance, that's a right. higher priority than, you know, this is an update from, you know, the product team from last week, right? Mm -hmm. um, which it would require, you know, response from a longer yeah. time period. Um, so defining the types of messages, and then finally, you know, choosing which communication channels are appropriate for which message, and which mm -hmm. priority level. So mm -hmm. on our team, for instance, um, Slack is the default communication method. So you would not send an urgent message by email, right? Mm -hmm. You would send it by Slack. And for our team, you tag it urgent. Um, so that way somebody knows that it is an urgent message needs to be responded to um, immediately. Um, so that really helps minimize like this communication overload um, because as we add more tools to our stack, it's very likely we're getting some like, you know, duplicative yeah. messaging going through, right? The same message goes through your product, uh, project management tool and Slack and email. And the communication charter is, uh, is designed to help prevent that. Um, and also just make sure that people have a universal understanding of what the expectations for communication mm -hmm. are. So you don't have those like, uh, you know, a manager is waiting for a response back from a direct report for three days and gets annoyed or gets upset about it. Um, but if it's according to the expectations set in the communication charter, you know, that indicates that those expectations either need to be adjusted or, um, you know, specified further in, in the request. So it really does help especially in a global team, it mm -hmm. helps uh, identify, you know, what everyone's expectations are and then just provides alignment. Um, so there's no confusion. Yeah, that's, that's a very good tip. Thank you. Um, let's, let's uh, go back a bit and talk about global hiring, right? So in your, in your experience working with various companies, organizations, from your perspective, what are some of the 
key criteria or qualities you should look for when 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 hiring globally? Yeah. So when hiring globally um, in a distributed team, I would look for um, primarily mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, um, do they have a learning and growth mindset? Um, do mm-hmm. they believe or do they have aligned values with this idea of, of global flexible work, right? Mm-hmm. So not everyone is going to want to work remotely. Um, right. And I don't necessarily believe that it's our job to convince somebody who doesn't want to work remotely that they should, right? Um, mm-hmm. When there are so many people who do want to work remotely. Um, right. So I think the first thing is, you know, uh, is an alignment of values or understanding that uh, of the benefits that remote work brings. Then, um, you know, mindset, the learning and growth, a placeless mindset. So do they, um, you know, do they value location independence over physical presence? Um, and there are a couple more things that I would look for specifically there. Um, and then are they uh, problem solving, number mm-hmm. one? So how do they typically solve a problem or if they encounter mm-hmm. a challenge? Do they, all, do they always go to... Um, a person first or do they exhaust the resources that are available to them first as they solve the problem and then they go to you know a human resource um uh and some of these things you know are trainable i would say that Mm -hmm. almost everything is trainable um but when it comes to you know hiring and seeing who would be a good fit in a global team um you know definitely look at mindset look at problem solving and what their instincts are there. Um, And then also workflow design. Um, So the best remote and hybrid workers are very good at thinking through how to design a workflow and how to Mm -hmm. optimize synchronous and asynchronous components. Um, You know, it's not just about, oh, we need to solve this problem. Let's get on a meeting right? The best remote workers are thinking really strategically about how to best use people's time and how to optimize all the outcomes. So if you are brainstorming, for instance, what's the best way to get the best ideas? And it's very likely not going to be getting everybody into a Zoom meeting for two hours and just you know, throwing ideas on a, on a virtual whiteboard, right? You have to really think about how you develop that overall process to achieve that end outcome. Um, And I I don't think that that is highlighted enough, you know, this ability to design a workflow from start to finish um, to achieve a desired outcome in a distributed environment. So those are some of the things that, you know, in my experience, people who are really good at working in global teams, you Mm -hmm. know, they're able to do that. Um, and then the final thing is is virtual presence. So when you are able to meet with someone virtually, um, yeah. how do you make them feel, right? So when mm-hmm. you come to a virtual meeting and you're taking up somebody's, you know, valuable synchronous time, are you prepared? Are you present? Are you multitasking? I mean, we're all multitasking at some point, but you know, do you um, make the people that you're in that virtual room with? Do you make them feel as if you are actually there um, mm-hmm. versus, you know, this is just something that I'm going to check off the box, check off my to-do list today. Yeah. Um, and those are some things that, you know, um, there are so many other things that can be trained. Um, and these are some of the the qualities that, 
you know, if they have um, had remote work experience before, if they've gone through some of the the trainings that we have, for instance, um, and they've developed uh, these abilities to, you know, show up and be present and then also optimize their synchronous and asynchronous time, those are going to be team members that are able to jump in and succeed in a remote global team. Okay, perfect. And and basically, uh, generally speaking, um, and probably that will be my, my last question for today, what are the three key pieces of advice uh, you would give to, to founders, executives who are just starting their switch toward global hiring, remote work policy? Maybe you have some tips. My first piece of advice is to adopt an async first approach. As you add to your global team, you are likely adding time zones <laughs> to, um, you know, to the, you know, the globe that you're hiring from. So um, adopting an async first approach is going to enable you to actually achieve the results that you want um, without requiring people to join in meetings, you know, at 2 a.m. their local time. Um, so make sure that you are not just tapping into a global talent pool, um, but you're enabling them to succeed. And the way to do that is to enable async first practices in your organization. Um, and that starts with you. So uh, founders um, and you know executive leaders can sometimes struggle with async first um, because there's a lot of like you know, fear of missing out. They want to be in the meeting. They want to have everyone in the meetings. Um, and so it really is a big shift in mindset. Um, and so that's something that I would invite founders to explore. Um, you know, what's their role in enabling a global team's success? And what are they doing right now that might be hindering the success of their global teams? Okay, perfect. So um, I guess I guess then we're good. Thanks a lot, Tommy, for sharing your insights on global hiring, remote work trends, on rituals that are essential for any remote team from my perspective as well, uh, for sharing these challenges and obstacles of remote work and global hiring. So we wish you and Workplace Less all the best in your journey. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you.